Good evening. Good evening. Everyone. Great to see you. Great to see you. This evening. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful weather. It is. Let me just say, we just got back from the mountains of yeah. North Carolina. Yeah. Now, let me just say for everybody that it's not just North Carolina. We went to Beach Mountain. Mm. Sugar Mountain, Beach Mountain. Sugar Mountain. The uh, yeah. uh, ski resorts of the proud middle class. Youth, youth yeah. trips gone. Forget Aspen. Forget Vail. Forget Steamboat. <laughs> Come to North Carolina. That's where Whoa. it's happening. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it was phenomenal. Uh, remember, we learned last week, you were up in North Carolina. Yeah. And you found out that COVID had attacked North Carolina. Yeah, it had attacked it. And the leaves were not turning because no. of COVID. It, it, right. Yeah. It attacks the pectin that holds yeah. the leaf onto the tree. Only certain trees were strong enough to resist right. the force of COVID. But higher elevations, apparently, COVID right. yeah, is yeah. heavy. Can't, yeah. You couldn't, yeah, get up couldn't there. get up there. Yeah. yeah. So the leaves were amazing. <laughs> So it was great. No, the reason why your place where you were staying didn't is because it's in a, uh, a thermal belt. It's really weird. Um, and so the le- everything was green when we yeah. drove past that. So it was absolutely beautiful. I had a great time. Did some hiking. Went up, uh, did some mountain stuff. That was good. Some nature photography. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I was telling somebody the other day, I, I've been, this year is my 25th anniversary. Yeah. I'm pushing for a, um, a Apple social? Watch 7. Oh, no, no, no. This is my 20, uh, 25th. And in all my years, I had never done a counseling appointment like this. But this this guy came in, and, and uh, he had an addiction to drinking brake fluid. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. I talked to him about it, and he could stop anytime. Have a great night, everyone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he said he could stop anytime. Uh, well, but talking about it, I, I, I was, I hate her. <laughs> What's the deal with? Oh, <laughs> she calls <it> round team. <laughs> so, um, I was taking my car in to get it worked on, to get the oil changed. You know, I hate it when the mechanics will condescend to you. Yeah, like up here at this, uh, nothing for them, but just yeah. in general, they'll, yeah. they'll look at you like, yeah, like on, you're an, you're on. an idiot. So they'll kind of test the whiz a little bit. So this guy, you know, I know some stuff about cars. And so he's like, uh, uh, well, yeah, you need an oil change, but you also need your tires rotated. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not an idiot. I was rotating the tires on my way here. <laughs> <laughs> so, got <laughs> Oh man, I got. He's I, here all I, week, I, baby. I got told you, I'm gonna hit with the 16 older crowd. Man, we're just. It's everyone a, else is like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, have you yeah. had a good week? Oh yeah, it's been a good week. Good, good. good. Normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. Soccer's starting to end. Good, good. <laughs> Driving the kids around Driving soccer the kids games. To so- yeah. I wish we could show everybody the videos of your youngest playing soccer. That's great. Man, some of the dances he did on the field were amazing. they were. (laughs) Man. (laughs) Doing a great job dancing Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to continue to be talking about leadership out of our Learn, Lover, Leader series. Mm -hmm. Um, We started talking about Nehemiah, but Mm -hmm. before we get into it, why don't you open us up? Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the group we have gathered here together. Thank you that uh, we get to come and we get to learn more about you this evening. Thank you for your word, for how every time we open it, it reveals truth to us. Thank you that you are here with us in this moment. We love you. Amen. Well, we learned about leadership that it's not just determined by your temperament or mm-hmm. some people like that Enneagram thing or uh, your Myers-Briggs or whatever mm-hmm. it is. But uh, when we look at biblical leadership, we see there's other components 
and really involved. We, we learned about logos, pathos, and ethos. Your, um, the data that's involved, what you're trying to communicate, the uh, passion that you have for it, maybe some life experience with it, and then your ethos, your character. Mm -hmm. That all of that goes into making a biblical leader. It's not just you're a good speaker or um, you're really good at leading people, mm -hmm. but there has to be the character behind it as well. And we, So we looked at Nehemiah as an example, and we saw how he was when he heard that Jerusalem had been destroyed and the walls had been busted down, that he was being used by God to restore it. Mm -hmm. uh, and even though he worked for the Persian king, that um, he still wanted to get involved. And it would have been easy for him to just rest in his cushy job and just stay uninvolved, but rather God began to use him to heal the nation. Mm -hmm. And so his job was to restore the walls of Jerusalem, which we were kind of talking about that it represents our hearts and our lives that it's it's this isn't the architecture of the story is being used to represent the worship center the um the soulish realm mm -hmm. of jerusalem and kind of like what paul talks a little bit about in ephesians and corinthians about tearing down imaginations restoring being transformed by the renewing of your mind restoring a noetic structure of the knowledge of God, mm -hmm. all those different components, mm -hmm. worldview stuff. But this week, we're going to take a look and continue to look at his conversation with Artaxerxes before he heads off to Jerusalem. Um, but I want you to notice that when he has this conversation with the king, he doesn't ask for what we would normally ask for in our culture. Mm -hmm. um, he, so it, it's really interesting. So why don't you uh, read to us, coming out of Nehemiah 2, yeah. why don't you read to us some of his conversation? Yeah. Starting in verse 5, it says, I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the princes beyond, or provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress which is by the temple for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me officers of the army and horsemen. So normally what we would ask the king would, we'd ask the king to fix Jerusalem for us. Yeah, you got connections. Yeah, you think about power. it. Uh, yeah, we would, um, he had the power to do it. I mean, then after all, I could see this in a conversation, particularly in America. After all, the king was the one that kind of messed it all up. You know, the Babylonians, the Persians, you know, yeah. uh, Syrians. I mean, everybody had a shot at Jerusalem. And so it was kind of like, it's your responsibility to do it. The government needs to fix everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, a narrative that we hear. Or even better yet, what we would have done is gone and got the 1% of the wealthy and tell them that it was their responsibility to uh, fix the wall. Mm. But it's interesting what Nehemiah goes for is for empowerment, not a quick fix. He asked the king to give him empowerment. Mm -hmm. um, and that's enough right there to get me to stop and think. Because when we think about what we expect from God and what we're praying for. Are we asking God to fix everything in our lives or are we seeking empowerment so that we can collaborate with God in the fix? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times people in prayer, and this is a good prayer to ask God to empower you 
to have a successful marriage, but sometimes we just want God to fix that marriage mm-hmm. and us not be involved in you know. But rather, I love what Nehemiah is looking for. He realizes he's going to be a part of the fix. He realizes that he's going to be used by God, and so therefore he seeks empowerment to do the job. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, as, as a dad, as a grandfather, as a husband, uh, as a pastor, uh, God's called me to pastor these people. And God's called me to love my wife. God's mm-hmm. called me to raise up my children in the ways of the Lord. God's called me to impact my culture. So instead of just praying God fix our culture, God wants me to get yeah. involved. And so going and looking for empowerment is really important. I think um, the, an example of this that we have personally gone through is your flood stuff. Oh, yeah. All of that. Yeah. You could have just kept asking God to fix it. Right. Said you need to fix it. Yeah. All this other stuff. But no, what did you do? Yeah. You yeah. asked for empowerment and then an understanding and did the work. Yeah. And, and all that, God gave us favor to do so, gave us the opportunity mm-hmm. to do so. Um, I would have liked, after the first flood, I would have liked him to fix everything. But after yeah. three floods, I realized, eh, you know, he, he ain't doing that. <laughs> so apparently we're going about this a different way. And, yeah. and so seeking empowerment, mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nehemiah realized that he could not just ride through the territories of the Persian Empire as a Jew and expect to get where he was going. You know, um, it was, he was not traveling down I-95. Uh, Jerusalem was not just an exit with a Starbucks. There is a, yeah, there is a good 95 Starbucks exit, though. Yeah, there really is. If you guys go down <laughs> 95 or 26 when we were heading yeah. into uh, the Asheville area, yeah. we were con- constantly asking Siri, oh, yeah. you know, um, yeah, find me uh, a Starbucks, Siri. Yeah. And she'd always tell me one that I went past, make a yeah. U-turn and go back five <laughs> miles. And I was like, come on. Like, come on. But the whole idea that, that Nehemiah was going to be inconvenienced. Mm-hmm. He knew that he was heading into a journey of hardship. Um, there knew there was going to be ethnic tension going out, that there would be suspicion about what he was mm-hmm. needing uh, to do. So here's the thing that we're going to unfold today is that he really needed affirmation of someone with clout more than him just being the royal butler. You know, he needed some, some form of conveyance or authorizing letters that would communicate something uh, about the authority that he had. So mm-hmm. he knew he wasn't going to convince everybody as he was going that I need all these, you know, um, supplies to rebuild Jerusalem. And most people didn't want Jerusalem rebuilt. So he knew he's going to need more of that. He needed someone uh, to tell him uh, some authority so that he could have what he needed. Mm-hmm. So he needed these letters. And this is really important because the calling that we have in our lives, the challenges that we have in our life, the things that we want to accomplish with our lives, raising kids, uh, being married for 35, 40 years, mm-hmm. and, and to have a good marriage, to live in a society that has, is riddled with compromise. Um, it's not going to be easy for us. And it doesn't just, you know, you think you're going to marry the right person and this is a person that's going, she's so beautiful or he's so smart or we, we both have our education and, and this is just going to make this marriage work. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, I think we find out pretty quick that it's not just going to be our wit or our good looks or our education or our money or our talent that's going to be needed in order to experience success in our lives. 
Uh, and then for others, there's a lot of us that we don't even feel we have any value. So mm -hmm. we don't really have any expectation. So there are some of us who, who have a false sense of value. Then there are other of us that don't have a sense of value. Uh, we, get, we get the ticket every time we drive down the road. Um, we have no advantage that would move things in our favor. You know, we don't have a pretty smile or we don't have an education or we don't maybe have the experience that would change the situation or connections within the community. Mm -hmm. um, some of us are the Murphy's Law principle. If it can go wrong, it will mm -hmm. in, a, in a situation. Uh, we don't think we have any influence in our lives. So there's kind of like these poles that we can be at. We can be delu delusional about thinking about, well, I'm, I'm good enough. And we're going to be talking about that today. This idea that I've got all that it takes in order to make this happen. And then there's other of us who have swung to the other side of the spectrum that there's no good thing for us to expect in our lives. Mm -hmm. So, but the interesting thing is that when Nehemiah is about to go, he sought letters of authority from the king. He understood the power of the king to author his trip, to, or authorize his trip. Mm -hmm. And he was not willing to go unless he had these letters of authorization. So if we're going to expect anybody to follow us anywhere um, and leverage leadership, we're going to have to have these letters. And we're going to discover today that in Christ, we do have these letters. That it's not going to be on our own sufficiency, but rather we're going to find out that it's, it's our king has given us letters for the journey that we're, we're on. Mm -hmm. So Nehemiah faced the issue of permission to travel, requisition materials, and the permits to build. And I think those three things, we could break them down and see how they are analogous to the Christian life and the journeys that we all have. But, but for him, it was like, I, I need these letters to begin the journey, to travel the journey, to, to get the stuff that I need to be able to accomplish the task, and then to have the permit, the right to build. So these three issues had to be addressed. And for us, we're going to see that in our lives and to lead effectively, that we're going to have to have these three issues addressed, that we're going to have these letters written on our hearts. We're going to have to have our king give us the authoring mm -hmm. to live the victorious life. So we're going to be talking about belonging, identity, and empowerment, mm -hmm. because I think that's what's contained in these letters that he gets from Artaxerxes is, is the whole idea of who he belongs to, what his identity is, and then the empowerment. What is he being given the authority to accomplish and then the resources to do it? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know who you are, if you don't have this idea of belonging, identity, and empowerment, nobody's going to follow you anywhere. You know, many a family has gone awry because of a dad or a mom that just didn't know who they are, didn't have a sense of belonging to God, didn't, didn't have the empowerment that comes with identity, mm -hmm. uh, letters from the king. Um, so that leads us into our cultural narrative that we're dealing with, and that is the narrative of being good enough. And we're, we're hearing this over and over again. Nehemiah could have just left 
and could have just gotten on his donkey or chariot or whatever it was that they had. Mm-hmm. You know, he probably would have been a Lexus in his particular yeah, case. Yeah, of course, of course. But he could have just started this journey to build and go out, go up to the, the woodsman, you know, that Asif guy, and say, mm-hmm. hey, listen, uh, I, I'm going to need a bunch of wood. We're going to be building a project over here. And, mm-hmm. and he says, why should I give it to you? Well, I'm good enough. Yeah, look at my chariot. Right. He could have gone to the governors and said, hey, you know, um, uh, I'm coming in. Let me pass. Let me have the rite of passage here. Why? Well, you know, I'm, I'm Nehemiah. You know Nehemiah. Hey, uh, Nehemiah. Yeah, it's all jokes. <laughs> you know, the king. You know, I give him wine, you know. Uh, and, and they'd be like, yeah, we don't know anything about you, uh, which leads us to a story of in the book of Acts about seven sons of Siva, but we oh, won't get off track on that. Um, and, and, and then when he encountered difficulty with Tobias and Sam Ballot, when these guys who didn't want the work to actually happen, unless this identity, this sense of belonging and empowerment had, had not been established, he would have failed. He realized that these three letters or these, these letters that were necessary for him were absolutely critical for the journey to actually happen. Mm-hmm. So I really believe Nehemiah um, just realized i've got to have the king behind me i've got to have the king say who i am mm-hmm. i have got to have the king say i have permission and and the authority to do this task i have got to have the king uh, behind me when i meet opposition in order to to stop those who are trying to oppress me mm-hmm. uh, but could you imagine like today um you say well nehemiah what you need to do is just put yourself first or um you need to be the hero of your own story yeah Speak your own truth truth and and see how far that would have gotten on this journey. Or deep down, Nehemiah, you're good. Just just tell everybody that you're good or that you're you're a goddess or you're a god and you just need to walk out of that goddess-god perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure that the governors and the woodsmen and and the enemies would have just chuckled and handed him his hat, if not his head. Mm -hmm. So I, I think one of the important thing is we... We want to lead, whether it's at home, whether we want to lead in community or in the church or just through example, that the issue of belonging, identity, empowerment needs to be established right up front. Mm -hmm. Or otherwise, we're going to have to rely on just being good enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're a young dad. Doesn't it it terrify you? I mean, as you see the challenges of culture. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that when you when you brought Alice home and Doc home that you said, "Yeah, we're good enough. We're going to raise perfect children." We're just, I mean, there, yeah. I think there was probably a moment of real humility. Oh yeah, there had to be. Because one thing I've learned, and I think I've, I can't remember who said it, but uh, you got to do you got to do the work in yourself because your pain and the things you've gone through. If you don't, I think uh, I forget who said it, but he said it, if it's it's pain that's not transformed is transferred. Um, and it's kind of like doing the, you know, bringing those things into your home, all those things like that with the kids and seeing the culture around them and all that stuff. Being able to have, like I told you one time, one of the biggest fears I have as a dad is for someone to try to teach, for my kid to ask or somebody to give my kid an answer that I'm not prepared to offer a better one that's gospel centered. Right. You know, like at school or in friends, friendships they might have. They go to both, they go to public schools. I mean, we live in South Carolina and Berkeley County, so it's still more conservative, Mm -hmm. but that might not always be the case. Yeah. And those things can be crippling as you look at it. 
to not have an, to not be able to be prepared to have that kind of answer that would yeah. that would lead them to say, "Oh no, that's yeah, good point, Dad." Yeah, or yeah, and the thought that you got to be good enough on your own. Yeah, I think it's always been our pursuit. You know, do I measure up? And am I good enough? Mm-hmm. And I, I think we've always kind of fallen into that valley of the shadow of death kind of thing. It's like mm-hmm. those two opinions of ourselves, like in the Valley of Elot. You know, it's like David walks through that. Is the the good and the bad of life that speaks into us and mm-hmm. the shadows that we live in. And it's like I not knowing if you're good enough, it, good enough to be a pastor, good enough to be um, a husband, good yeah. whatever it may be. Yeah. But I think every one of us struggle with this issue of good enough. And you got to have humility as a parent to admit you're wrong. Right. All the time. Yeah. Like like we talk about here, that apology in your back pocket. Yeah. Cannot be good enough yeah. <laughs> in right. every situation to, have, to act as you should in every situation. Yeah. And, and I think the issue of good enough has always been the topic from the beginning. Even in the beginning. I mean, just look at the serpent's conversation with Adam and Eve. Um, he immediately goes into their perception of being good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, he pits this garden relationship that they have in context with God. So they got a really good thing going on between them and God. They're walking in harmony with God, friendship with God. And so they're in this garden relationship. And then he comes along and he begins to stir up within them the question of good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, he offers good enough in the forbidden. Mm. You know, if you eat mm. this fruit, this, this is, you know, oh, yeah. you'll find good enough in the forbidden. Um, he offers good enough through the power of acquisition. You know, take it and eat it. That that's where you're going to find your good enough. Uh, he offers good enough through self-fulfillment. Um, this is going to make you happy, you know, that, and we were told that this pursuit of good enough was pleasing to the eyes, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was a, it was a pretty tree, a pretty fruit and all that. And, but I think that's always been the enticement that he kind of picks on Adam and Eve about, you know, you're really not good enough Mm -hmm. because God knows that if you eat of this, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. So Mm -hmm. he offers them good enough through the supplanting of true divine with the divine within them. So he's going to, he's going to like, you'll be good enough when you are no longer uh, usurped by this authority of this deity known as Yahweh and that you come out from underneath his control and you'll be good enough. You'll be as gods. Mm -hmm. You'll know what he knows. You'll be good enough then. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting. They already had the most amazing life they could have. But the pursuit of good enough yeah. and, and, and being able to say that they were good enough robbed them of this perfect relationship that, with, right. that they were in. Mm-hmm. So I think the pursuit of good enough in ourselves, apart from God, has always been the fruit that was offered in the garden. The knowledge of good and evil I mean, I don't know what, what particularly it was, but we do know that it was knowing thyself and knowing the world apart from being under the covering of God. Mm-hmm. I don't care any thought, or whether good or bad, outside of the covering of God has the corruptible uh, ability in it. Right. So um, this whole idea about being good enough has been something that I think we've all wrestled with. 
Um, I have found this, that, and, and this may sound technical, but I kind of put everything in the words that I put it in just so that I make sure I'm getting this right. Mm -hmm. The reductionism of any objective standard is just an attempt to silence the scream of human insufficiency. Let me just say that again. The reductionism of any objective standardization is just an attempt to silence the scream of human insufficiency. So having a deity over us that is determining what is good and what is evil, we need to remove that because, or what is good and what isn't good. I think um, we want to remove that voice, whether it's government, whether it's scripture, whether it's God, well, even now in our day, even if it's science, because um, we want to silence this, the uh, scream of human insufficiency. We all know that we're insufficient. So it's funny that we yell louder that I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to shout over our own ears what, what our own heart is telling us. And so I think we're in a culture now that's looking to reduce any standardization or, let's say, an objective truth of goodness mm -hmm. uh, just so that we can just shut up the screaming that, of insufficiency that we find in humanity. Um, I, and I'm finding as I, as I look at this concept of good enough as it's in our culture that it is the new fig leaf of Adam and Eve. You know, when Adam and Eve found that they were naked, they kind of came up with their own solution. So they went around the garden, they looked for a, a, a leaf, and they covered themselves with it. And so I, I think all the humanity, apart from God, finds itself naked and reaches for something and covers itself with it. And I think today what we're using is this concept of good enough. Just tell yourself you're good enough. Just cover yourself with your own perspective of your own goodness. And that will be enough to hide the screaming insecurity of your humanity. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really weird that we ourselves would determine that we are good enough. I heard one philosopher say it this way, um, declaring I am good enough is one hand clapping. It, it's kind of like we're declaring our own goodness, but there's no objective standard by which this is being measured. There's no, there's no, it's a hollow motion. We're declaring I'm good enough, I'm good enough, but there's no real sound being generated by mm -hmm. it. It's our own one hand clapping and trying to produce a sound. Um, I've also found that it's, from a logical standpoint, it's really self-defeating. So if I say I'm good enough, that means I don't have to change. Mm -hmm. Because if I have to change, something about me wasn't good enough. So if I declare to the world and to myself, well, I'm good enough, well, then any motivation to rid myself of selfishness or jealousy or gossip is um, kind of like a, a built-in refuting of the concept of I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. The moment that I raise my hand to improve myself in, in any kind of way, I am undermining the logic that I stand on. It really, it's, it's like saying I'm good enough is sitting on a branch that's not connected to a tree. Uh, and, and the moment that I say that I'm good enough and I begin to exert any force to change myself, that I'm actually cutting the tree, the branch that I'm sitting on. Mm -hmm. And it's like a logical fallacy. It, it's, 
you know. Um, so, and then I got to ask myself, am I good enough living with the envy and the selfishness and the jealousy and the bitterness and the gossip? And I mean, do I really want to say, hey, it's good enough that I just, I remain like that? I don't think anybody really believes that. Right. So I th right. think when you start l looking at it, I'm good enough. Then why would we raise our hand in any way to do any kind of self-improvement? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I, I've discovered that good enough comes down to comparison. That really what I'm, I'm, I'm responding to some other standard, whether it's a social And depending on the crowd you're standing in will determine if you're good enough. Uh, I was uh, reading a book, my daughter Dawn, I was really impressed, I went to visit her and I was looking at her coffee table and it was early in the morning and she had a little book called Mama Bear Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. It's written by Hilary Morgan Ferrier. Um, have you ever mm -hmm. noticed that there's more people with three names? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody's doing like the C.S. Lewis thing. Or, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, J.R.R. Token, you know. I got to throw my middle name Dude, out there more the, often. The, the I mean, better. look, uh, just tell me if this sounds better. Uh, it makes me sound good enough. Paul Dean Rienzo. Oh, did, did actually. Did I sound a little bit more authoritative with that? How about yeah. you, what would yours yeah. be? Richard John Taylor the third. JJT, oh man, that's RJT. Oh man, that's oh man, that is good. Three RJT three. But uh, all joking aside, in, her book is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, in it, she excellently exposes a new social measuring stick. It's really interesting. We're told we're good enough, but then society says, "Okay, we got a measuring stick." Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, you told me I was yeah. good enough, but now you're going to me. <laughs> culturally judge me. Yeah. Um, and when I, so she actually broke down and showed this new standard. Yeah. Um, I discovered I am not good enough. And they are yeah. very clear about, uh, yeah. so what, what they had was this, I wish I could show it to everybody, and I really encourage you to get the book, especially if you're a parent. Yeah. This is a great book. But it broke down um, the privileged social groups, the borderline social groups, the oppressed targeted social groups. And then it broke them down so you could find out if you're in them or not. If you're mm -hmm. a part of the oppressing group or whether you're a part of the oppressed group. Basically, whether you're a part of the good group or whether you're a part of the bad group. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so I, I wanted to find myself because, you know, if you're going to tell me how I should talk about myself, but yet you told me I'm good enough, but apparently I'm not good enough because I fell into the wrong column. Okay, um, privileged social group, bad this is bad. So you can find out how to think about yourself based upon society. If you're biologically a, a man, okay? Apparently, if you're a yeah. transgender man, you're not yeah. man enough. I mean, yeah. I mean I don't, I'm not being ugly here, but it's like you have to be a bio. If you're it's a biological yeah. man, if you're gender conforming biological uh, to, the, to men and women relationship, and you're heterosexual, and you're a Protestant Christian, okay? I mean, this is what the agenda of our culture is that if you are a, a man, you conform to a heterosexual relationship, and you are a Protestant Christian, you are part of the privileged social group, and you are bad, okay? Um, let's see, borderline social group. So apparently... This whole bull, this whole good enough, everybody, it's a bunch of crap, okay? Because it really is going to come down to what society is going to 
say whether or not you can say this about yourself. Right. Borderline group, uh, social group. Why don't you tell us what those, those folks are and how they should feel about themselves? You got the, uh, for the sexual orientation, you got intersex and transgendered. Okay. You got gender ambiguous, biological men and women mm-hmm. in the gender category. Okay. In the sexual orientation category, bisexuals. And religion, Roman Catholics. Okay. Oh, so borderline. So you're not good enough, you're borderline. Catholics borderline. Okay. Wow. So now let's find out who who's good enough. All right, we okay. Because I mean, yeah. we want to be in this group. We want to get this letter. This is the letter you need to take through society. Okay, you're go good ahead. Enough. All right. Sex would be biological women. Gender would be transgender, gender queer, intersex. Sexual orientation would be lesbians or gay men. Mm-hmm. And religion would be Jews, Muslims, Hindus. Okay. Wow. Um, so, based upon this, I should not think of myself as being good enough. So, it's, it's really interesting that we can talk about it all day long, but when it comes down to society is going to determine who's good enough. You know, you can read every self-help book that's out there and they'll tell you you're good enough, but you just walk into a room with the wrong people group and they'll determine whether or not you're good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, like I said, this whole concept of good enough has been under attack since the garden. I mean, remember when Jesus is challenged by Satan about his identity, his empowerment and his belonging? Yeah. You know, if you are the son of God, you know, on this whole performance grid that you had to go through in order to be good enough. Mm-hmm. And it continues today. Our self-perception has always been under assault from the very beginning. So Nehemiah, regardless of position, needs letters to authorize him. He, it, he knows he is not good enough. Mm-hmm. That sounds so cultural I mean, that, that's just the opposite of what we're told. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah realizes right out the gate, I need my king to authorize me because on my own, I am not good enough. Here's, you know, I just thought of, you might can share this story. It might take a little, maybe it's too long, but remember that time you went to the Patriots camp? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you oh, yeah. definitely were not good enough. But, or is that the one where they said, who are you? And you said, I'm nobody. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and, and what Ricky brought up, I... I this made me think about it, yeah. trying to get access to a place that you think you, as all you do, and you should have been back there. Right, right, and yeah, so I went to the training camp of the Patriots, I was up in Foxborough, I swung by to see them, you know, training camp, get out there and watch them practice, uh, fall training, uh, and then when it was all over, I, there was people walking out. And we're walking right past the stadium. And, and I saw this line of people going inside the building, like the pro shop. And so I'm like, well, I'm here. I might, might as well get a hat or something while I'm here and, and buy something. And so when I walked in the door, there was uh, a man handing out hats. Now, it was the 50th anniversary of the New England Patriots. And it was the year that I turned 50 also. So it was kind of like, oh, this is really cool. And so... There was this escalator going up, and people were in a line, and they were just handing out these hats. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I knew I loved this organization, you know? So I, I got a hat, and I'm like, hey, can I get a hat for my pop? You know? So uh, I got a hat for my dad. 
So I go up the escalator and I walk in in this beautiful, lush thing place. And, yeah. and then there's these Hall of Fame Patriot players along the side walls talking, <laughs> signing autographs. And, and, and their photographs are free and they're handed to you. And I'm like... This is so awesome. <laughs> so I just walk a little further, say hi to you know Steve Grogan and John Hannah, I think his name was, and, and some of the others. And it's like, this is really cool. And then I go a little further. There's a, a chef with a, you know, the big white hat, yeah. and he's yeah. standing there. Yeah, Sir, can I make you an omelet? And I'm just like, oh, heck yeah. <laughs> make me an omelet. I'll, I'll, I'll take an omelet. So I get an omelet. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I get the omelet and I'm sitting down and it's kind of cafeteria style at this point and I'm just sitting there enjoying it and just kind of waving to everybody and just just jazzed to be a part of the show. And then a man comes out to a microphone and says, uh, we'd like to thank all you corporate sponsors for being here today. And Mr. Kraft will be out in a few minutes to personally meet every one of you. And I'm like, like that camera in the movie? You know? Right. And I'm like, oh my word. I am not. I'm in the wrong place. So from that point on, you know, after I you know, coughed up my omelet. <laughs> I'm looking for the door. I'm looking how to get it out of here. And they have security around. Oh, and yeah. uh, so I, I get up and I start walking back where I go in and they're like, uh, uh, no, sir, you can't leave that. You can't leave there. Um, uh, and so I start walking towards an elevator and, and another guy stops me. So, well, Mr. Kraft hasn't come out yet and he would really like to meet everyone and you don't want to leave yet. I'm like, no, no I really got to leave. I really got to leave. And, and so I, I get on the elevator. Just about that time, they're beginning to notice my odd behavior. And so down that seem on the walkie-talkie, you know. So there I am. I'm on the elevator. I'm like, come on, come on, come on. Go down. Get out of here as fast as you can get out of here. As soon as I get down the elevator, the door opens and there's two security guys there. And they're like, uh, excuse me, sir, we're going to need some identity. And I pop out my, you know, South Carolina's driver's <laughs> license. I am the pastor of Crosstown Church in Charleston. Um, I thought this was for everybody. And they're like, there's no way you got in here. No, I said I stood in line. And, and so they literally, like, just touch my elbows and escort me towards the gate of Foxborough. And yeah. at the last moment, they're like, uh, we're going to need the hats back. And yeah, yeah. And I'm like, uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, to this day, I still have still those, hats. those hats. Yeah, I gave yeah. one to my pop. And, yeah. But it was funny that sooner or later, society and life experiences will determine whether or not your identity is secure. Yeah. You'll find out that all of life, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in being a dad, it's like, I'm not supposed to be here <laughs> or I'm not, I'm not qualified. I don't yeah. have enough of the resources or the authorization yeah. to do it. So um, Nehemiah knows that right up front mm -hmm. and he knows that it has to come from the king. See, there's a real problem with self-authorizing or I like even saying it this way, self-authoring your own story. Mm -hmm. It really is. It, it really is like standing on a, a branch without a tree is that you're writing, you're authoring your own identity. And, and it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, then there's the problem of social authoring. Is that uh, needing somebody to tell you that you're good enough is a actually a contradiction to the hypothesis. I mean, if I'm good enough, why would I need anybody to tell me that I'm good enough? But yet we live in a society that will determine who, who has the right to feel good about themselves. And then the social standardization of what is good enough gets constantly changed. 
But with Christ, Mm -hmm. you discover you're not good enough. And here's the great thing about it. It's okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is okay. That struggle of eating this corruptible fruit of trying to be good enough. It's like, no. Um, And Nehemiah discovered this and sought a greater authoring or letters than himself. And I think the sooner we get to that place, instead of trying to prove ourselves good enough, like, like me with my dad, I always wanted to prove I was good enough. And uh, I think I told you that my dad, when I was 17, didn't accuse me of being gay, but, um, you know, he just felt like I was two steps away. Mm-hmm. And, and his analysis was, was totally based upon... Well, I had just colored my hair in high school, okay? And back in the 70s, it didn't really go over well with your World War II dad, you know? <laughs> he comes home and you have orange hair, you know? <laughs> that you dried using your mother's blow dryer, you know? So I wasn't really winning yeah. a lot of points with my dad. <laughs> yeah. But um, the idea of trying to measure up to the greatest generation, yeah. I think for a lot of people my age it was a really difficult thing to do and nehemiah right up front realized uh-uh, i am not trying to pull this off unless i have authoring letters from the king mm-hmm. and you can begin to see the biblical analogy in this yeah uh, one of my favorite stories is the and, and i read it with tenderness and i believe in one of the gospels it it does communicate that jesus loved this young man mm-hmm. Um, is when he's dealing with the young rich ruler. Um, in the story, and you're probably familiar with it, it's like in three out of four of the Gospels, this guy comes to Jesus and asks Jesus, uh, what can I do to get eternal life? Right. Yeah. He wants to find out, am I good enough? Yeah. And to a point, I think he kind of thinks he is. Okay, he's got wealth, and, and he, uh, he asks the question, what commandment must I keep in order to be, you know, yeah. have eternal life? So he kind of couches this goodness good enough in Judaism or Mosaic law. And that's the interesting thing. We can use fashion, money, education, religion, um, anything to try to be good enough. Mm-hmm. We think if we try to do it religiously, somehow that's more virtuous than if we use... Um, like going to the gym and getting big muscles yeah. or yeah, yeah. getting a tan or losing 25 pounds. I mean, I think most of us see that as kind of like a vain way to feel better about yourself. Mm-hmm. But I don't think religion's any uh, less vain. And, uh, and so we find out, finds out and it, he wants to believe he's good enough. And he wants Jesus to tell him, oh, yeah, you're impressive. And he names off a couple. He goes, you know the law. Mm-hmm. You know, love your, you know, and he names off a couple and he goes, oh yeah, I've done all I've those done things yeah. that I, and, and then I love what Jesus does next. And I was reading some of the works of Francis Schaeffer and he says, and in, in, I forget what book it is, but he says, sometimes you have to tear down the old roof before you can lovingly build the person a new one. And this is what Jesus does. He sees that this man has erected a roof of good enough over himself through a performance of of religious acts. And Jesus, I really believe in the tenderness of his heart, is just like, ah, this this poor kid. You know, he thinks he's good enough because he's done everything he was told to do. And so, out of love, he has to pull the roof down. Mm 
See, when people ask, go to Jesus and say, like a lawyer says, uh, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus, you know, uh, he thinks he's been challenged to figure out out of the 632 precepts, which one is the greatest. And so Jesus is like, okay, I'll, I'll reduce the number and you'll find out me reducing the number is not going to help you any. Because <laughs> love the harder. Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Upon this, all the laws of Moses and But, you know, we think, oh, well, good. Got Christianity yeah. is so much better than Judaism because it's re we got less. Uh -huh. Well, Jesus reduced it. And let me ask you, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. How's that working for you? I mean, Jesus actually stymies the man. He doesn't give him the answer. Uh -huh. He just makes the man realize he's asking the wrong question. He's eating the wrong fruit. Mm -hmm. um, and so Jesus, Jesus just pulls down this man's, he knew he was rich, and he said, hey, go take all that you own, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Um, I, I think it's amazing, because the young man goes away sad, mm -hmm. and I think that in some way, Jesus' tenderness and heart, it's like, okay, I know this guy's on a hard journey. He's just, he wanted to be good enough, and he's discovered he's not good enough. But discovering you're not good enough, that is like the bad story the bad news that you need to hear before you get the good news. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. um, he, he does w when uh, the day of Pentecost occurs, when the Holy Spirit's being poured out and all Jerusalem comes out and they're like, what's going on? You know, he doesn't say to them, Hey, we just found out everybody's good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, he says, now you wicked and perverse generation, you've crucified. I mean, killed the prophets, killed the Messiah. Boom, boom, boom. And, and then all of a sudden, when they get the bad news, all of a sudden, those who really want to have value in their life, identity and belonging, they say, what must we do? And he says, repent. Mm -hmm. And then believe on it. So sometimes we need the roof pulled down from us. Mm -hmm. um, so, I don't know, just off side note, but we say, well, why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? It's like, well, first of all, the questions, you know, there are no such things, but... But maybe God will allow the roof to come in on our lives so that we can discover that we're not good people. So that we could be qualified through the bad news to be recipients if we desire, like Nehemiah, mm -hmm. to get letters of the good news, identity, belonging, and empowerment from our Savior. Mm -hmm. So in the story with Jesus, the other bankruptcy of the moral condition the not good enough shocks the disciples. Mm -hmm. And because they probably looked at the guy who came in in a good chariot, he's a good Jewish fella, you know. He, we need that. We could use this guy on the team. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he could play in the church softball team. He can hit the ball. Yeah, yeah. He's keeping five out of ten commandments. Come yeah, on, what can you expect? On. You know, he's, he's, doing, he's doing good, Jesus. Give the yeah. guy a break. But when all of a sudden Jesus pulls that roof down, listen to what it says. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished. Okay, why? Because they thought the guy was good enough. Mm -hmm. They were astonished. And then they, they came to this realization as the roof comes down, and they said, well, then who can be saved? And, and, and I, really, they could have rephrased the question, then, then who's good enough? Mm -hmm. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, and I love it, bad roof coming down, good roof going up. With people that this is impossible. It's like, okay, you've come to the end of yourself. You're not good enough. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
So we have Schaefer's model here, or really Jesus' model that Schaefer observed, mm -hmm. is that sometimes you got to get the bad news about yourself before the good news is real good, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in your life. Um, you know, I've, I've taught to a lot, you know, I love theology and I love arguing about it for fun. I mean, it's like sports sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, we'll, we'll just come out and boop, 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 body blow, body blow, body blow, <laughs> and then we'll go get coffee together yeah. and then talk fantasy football. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that folks, friends of mine who are of the Calvinistic persuasion, the other, they will argue the utter depravity of mankind, mm -hmm. that we are utterly bad, yeah. utterly. There's no good, nothing the good tea. about it. Yeah, so, and it's like, okay, we're utterly bad. Mm -hmm. um, the problem, capable of good. Right, right, yeah. right. And I kind of have a problem with that. And, and my <laughs> logic is this. Is the problem is not because we're utterly bad, that's not what the problem is. The problem is that, uh, as some would argue, the problem is that we're not utterly good. Okay? That's the problem. Because what happens is we compare our badness to one another and create a moral hierarchy. You know? Mm. Well, homosexuals are the worst. Yeah. And then you know, guys who cheat on their wives are the worst. Ladies who cheat on their wives, well, they're in the oppressed, the oppressed group, so you know maybe not as bad mm -hmm. lying cheating and that's how we kind of ended up with a mortal venial sin hierarchy in in another church uh, christian expression so we compare ourselves based to badness but the the problem of our separation from god is not our utter badness it's our utter um lack of goodness i mean it's just that we're not utterly good mm -hmm. um as well as having some badness thrown in there that creates tension with God. So I, we're going to take a look just real quick at how Paul layers in the book of Ephesians. And, and it would be fun if we could just from this point on look at those epistles, which are letters, as letters from our king. Just like Nehemiah went to Artaxerxes and said, hey, listen, I need a letter of identity, belonging, and empowerment that Paul's letters are written to us from the king. Mm -hmm. and he's giving them to us. And I particularly like how he, he lays it out in the book of Ephesians, the Christian view of himself. What you're going to find in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, and here's the thing I say about if you're, if you're not into the Bible, you want to follow God, you're not into the Bible, you find it very encumbering and difficult to understand. And Or let's say you're a, a dude, and I don't want to single guys out, but I am one, and it's like our attention span is about, there, there it is, right there. And, and if there's one book, I'm not saying it's higher revelation. I'm not creating yeah. some didactic structure here. But, uh, but if you get the book of Ephesians right, the rest of the story of the scriptures kind of just is, you know, mm -hmm. background to what Paul talks about in Ephesians. Um, but you're going to find that in what would he, he starts off in the first two chapters and he talks about who the Christians are and constantly you'll see it repeated like 16 times in him, in him, in him, with him, through him, all the time being repeated over and over again. Mm -hmm. He's talking about that identity comes from in him in Christ, with Christ, through Christ. All identity is coming. And he just hammers that who they are, that they are saints in Christ, that they are in the beloved in Christ, that they are called in Christ, that they are children of God through Christ, that all identity is coming through this 
uh, through this relational context, not performance context, not humanism, not self-centeredness, not your self-perception of yourself before God, but rather in Christ, that that's where all the identity comes. And, and I also think it's interesting that, you know how we were saying that it's like Nehemiah, we should get these letters before we go on a hard journey. Mm-hmm. The first two chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul's going to get into what husbands and wives should do and how they should love each other. He's going to get into about dad stop is aspirating your children, children obey your fathers. He's going to get into, uh, you know, about stop adultery, stop uh, homosexuality, stop drunkenness, gossiping, the works of darkness, whatever, you know, that is. But you know what? Before he, he talks to them about that in the next three to four chapters, he lays out two chapters about identity. And that this, because you cannot do the work of restoring the walls of, that are broken down in your lives until you discover the identity that you have, not in yourself, but in relationship with Christ. And if you don't have that identity, don't try to modify your behavior. Don't try, don't, don't think, you know, drink, drinking less is going to make you a, a better person. Don't think, you know, don't try to fix all that moral compromise in your life. You got to start off with the letters and you have to start off with identity and belonging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love it um, that he wants to help them escape the self-hatred and the moralism through the sufficiency of being in Christ. This is the only way I make it. I mean, most of you here have known me for a while. You've heard my story. Um, you watch my continuing story. I'm a kind of like a two-step forward, one-step back kind of guy. You know, cha-cha-cha. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always, that's kind of like my Christian walk. I'm, it's not like Paul says he's running the race. I mean, mine's more kind of like a, you know. Cha-cha-cha. Throw up. I mean, <laughs> run a little bit, throw up. Run a little bit, throw up. Um, I understand what Paul says when he says, I am chief of all sinners. Yeah. Not past tense, but current, you know, present tense. And um, so he's, he's like, realize, before you start doing this Christian journey, you got to get letters. Mm-hmm. You know, don't try to just be good. Don't, don't pursue to be good enough, but rather have identity uh, in Christ. So um, I love it that simultaneously he is also declaring the exclusivity of Christ to authorize your life or to author your life. I always thought that was, was really beautiful. Like in Ephesians, he says, before the foundations of the world. What's he doing? He's going way, way back. And he says, listen, only I have the right to author you. Mm-hmm. Only I have the right to write letters. Only, so he goes way back. You know, your father can say something about you. You know, growing up, he can say, well, you're a dirtbag or you look gay or whatever it may be that he might have said to you when you're growing up. But, we, but God says, no, but I said something about him before your dad said, and before your grandfather and before yeah. whatever it is. Before the foundations of the world, I was authoring, I was writing what should be spoken into your life. Mm-hmm. And I love that he lays it out. Yeah. And then he says um, that all this was done before, uh, through Christ and in Christ to unite all things in him, in him. That includes the disintegrated self within humans. You know, we think about uniting all things. It wasn't just Gentiles and mm-hmm. Jews. It wasn't just males and females, whites and blacks and all that. But no, he's like, no, in Christ, that's where 
the disintegration becomes integrated. Yeah. That's where we as human beings, when Paul talks about in Romans 7, that which I should do, I don't do, that what I shouldn't, uh, what I shouldn't do, I do do. I mean, he's expressing the disintegration of the human self. Um, and he says, oh, wretched man that I am. He doesn't mm -hmm. say, well, it's good enough. As long as I give it a, the college try. He's like, no, I am disintegrated. I find a law in my mind, a war of my members, warring against it. And he's like, I find this disintegration. But we find in Christ that all things are united. Mm -hmm. And that's the work of sanctification in the believer. It's all of a sudden when the pieces of soulish realm, uh, the habit realm, the psychology, being transformed in the renewal of our mind, our relationships, the social aspect yeah. of humanity, begins to get integrated. And Paul concludes all this... Um, uh, he declares in Romans 7 what I can't be. And then in Romans 8, he says, there's now no condemnation yeah. to those who are in Christ Jesus. He's, so he says, here's the bad news. This is what I can't be. Here's the good news. What Christ makes me, mm -hmm. a new creation. And therefore. Yeah. That's how it's looking. Therefore, walk in a way that brings him yeah. glory. Mm -hmm. But we had to get the three letters first before you go anywhere. You know, oh my goodness, I, I know we're probably running out of time here. Ah, damn it. Okay, <laughs> before the disciples, um, want, they want to go out and change the world, but he's like, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Yeah. You know, and it's because the Holy Spirit's going to speak the word of God into their souls. He's going to, he's going to teach them all things. Mm -hmm. It's like, don't you go out there, you haven't been authored yet. Mm -hmm. Your story has not been written yet. I mean, we gotta, there's got to be a God thing that happens in you. Then go out and do it. But don't go out there thinking you're going to change the world until you have discovered your identity mm -hmm. in Christ. So, real belonging comes from, uh, and let me just race through these real quick. Belonging. Do you know that you belong to God? I love John 1, 11. As many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, uh, the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 1, 11. Say, we're not all God's children. That, again, is a cultural myth. Mm -hmm. No, we're all God's creation, but we only become children through the declaration of Jesus Christ as Lord and his sacrifice on the cross for us. Mm -hmm. That's when we become children. Mm -hmm. uh, two, identity. I am a new creation in Christ. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Second Corinthians 5. And three, empowerment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul even just uh, goes even further and says, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. Mm -hmm. the, the sanctifying work. It's like, it's not about me. It's not about my truth. It's not me living the best version of myself, the, my best life. It's like, no, it's, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. It is just the opposite of I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. It is the discovering having the roof pulled down in love by God. Yeah, you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. And then allowing him through the finished work of Christ to begin to construct the new identity, to give us the letters of identity, belonging, and empowerment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely beautiful. Um, in, in closing, I, I think God spoke to me today, and I, I say that very carefully. I mean, I'm charismatic, but, you know, in a subjective way, God spoke to me. 
I've been feeling a lot of self-pity because of my spine injury and because I can't do all the sports that I want. Uh, and so it's really been a real de source of depression for me. And I can tell you this, that you may feel good enough at 35, but at 62, there ain't many of us feeling good enough. Not, not on our own. I mean, it's just like the second law of thermal dynamics can just beat the heck out of you, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, and so I'm like, my back hurts. I can barely, my, I'm bent over and it's like, I've lost my glory of my youth. I'm no longer, and, and, and God's like, listen, you think your vertebrae holds your head up? Uh, Psalm 3, 3 came to me. God said to me, I am the glory and the lifter of your head. Mm -hmm. um, not my high thoughts of myself, not my athletic ability, not my physical prowess, you know, um, not a painless life, uh, but rather I am your glory, not your self-perception, not you being good enough. I am the glory and the lifter of your head. And I think humanity has been looking down since the fall. And it's like a father who takes his hands and puts it under the chin of his child and lifts it up mm -hmm. and then says, I am the glory and the lifter of your head. Shame makes you look down mm -hmm. and, and, and look for places to be good enough. Right. The father says to us, let me be your glory and I'll lift your head. Mm -hmm. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. So I, I guess we're out of time, Beautiful. huh? Yeah. I, I, I really like this one. Yeah. Uh, I live in this stuff. Yeah. Um, this is, this is the only way I can make it is to see myself that imputed righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. It almost sounds blasphemous to say that, mm -hmm. doesn't it? But it's that good that when yeah. we are in Christ, without the in him, you can't say it. Oh no. As soon as you take <laughs> in him out, you're yeah. on your own. Yeah. You know, good luck with those five out of 10 commandments, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, it's not. And the disciples got it. It's like, wow, who can be saved? Who's good enough? Mm. And Jesus is like, yeah. Okay, here's the bad news. No, you're not good enough. Here's the good news. Through Christ, all things are possible. Mm -hmm. So, mm. well, um, hey, I, I say all this is to make sure that you have your letters to go through life with. And remember, just like Nehemiah, when you die, you're going to need those letters. Because those letters get you into other places. And I want to encourage you also to uh, Alyssa Ch uh, Childers' podcast, um, How to Escape the Cult of Self-Affirmation with Ali Beth Stuckey, another three-name person. Mm. Well, let me yep. encourage you on YouTube, watch it, listen to it, see it. it. She does a little bit better job than what I've done here, you know, what we've talked about. Uh, are we out of time? Are we gone? Are we been no, shut we down. Keep going. Okay. Keep going. So let me encourage, and also let me encourage you to get her book, Another Gospel. Absolutely phenomenal, and it really is talking about the lies mm -hmm. that we're being told about ourselves and about God. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, let me encourage you to get that as well. I have a copy. I'm selling it on eBay for a thousand dollars. Yeah. It is autographed, so that raises the value yeah. of it. Especially if your name signed is, letter. Yeah. If your name is Paul. It'll yeah. Be even if more your name valuable. is Paul, oh yeah, it'll yeah. be really valuable. So I encourage you to get it. Find out she goes into a real good in-depth apologetic yeah. on this issue yeah. uh, with some good stuff. Why yeah. don't you close this yeah. in prayer? Father, thank you so much through, through your example and your word that we get to read about tonight, that in you, we have these letters because of your authority and that we stand in your promises, we stand in your strength and that we are not good enough in the number of ourselves, but through you, we are able to accomplish all things in your name. Thank you, Lord, that with you, all things are possible. Thank you that we get to hold that truth, to rest in that truth, to cease from the striving to try to earn things apart from you. 
and realize that only in your name are we, are we, what you call us, your sons and daughters. Are you good enough to lift her? Of, are we good enough to lift her of our heads? Is what you provide for us. Thank you so much. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us, and I really encourage you if you if you're into podcasting, if you're into YouTube. Go check out her mm-hmm. uh, podcast. Good Phenomenal job. stuff. Thanks That's for coming. Great week.